Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip addresses principles and questions such as, don't panic. What's better, a Roth or traditional IRA? How do you recommend a portfolio mix for your clients? Where do you predict interest rates are going? Should I invest in opportunities presented by friends or other people? Plus, an in-depth interview with copywriting expert Claudia Pilgrim. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, another episode. You know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in uh, Joe Rogan mode. Three, two, one. <laughs> hey, how you doing, Claudia? <laughs> I'm good, Philip. How are you? Good. That was my Joe Rogan impression. I, like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, like the, I like the way he starts his podcast. I might have to just steal that. And copy for a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe it's, he got a $100 million podcast, so, you know. He might doing be right. to doing something right. So, um, y'all, we're back with another episode. Today's episode is on copywriting. I have Claudia Pilgrim, a copywriting expert. And for those of y'all who don't know what copywriting is, because at first, when I first heard the term, I was like, copywriting doesn't it, doesn't attorneys do that? Like, what is copywriting? So, can you can you can you give everybody a a, a breakdown of what copywriting is? Sure thing, sure thing. Yeah, so that's a, a very common misconception, copywriting versus copywriter. Uh, one is with the W, the writing, which is what, what me and my agency does. And then the other one is obviously on the legal side, getting stuff protected. So uh, copywriting is actually the art, I call it an art and a science um, of messaging to your audience. So in the art, that's looking at how is your messaging responding to who you're trying to talk to, your audience, um, what kind of revenue is it generating, um, and then your deeper why. So copy really gets into the emotions and the, we'll call it core, just of your beings versus the non, like, how do I put it this way? When you do copywriting or when I do copywriting, we're looking at what can we do to elicit a response and specifically direct response? So there are different types of copywriting. Uh, we specialize in direct response uh, copywriting. And that's basically every message that goes out. There's some form of an action that you want your audience to take, whether you're doing it through email, whether you're doing it through social media, whether you're doing it on video, no matter the medium, you're giving your audience an action. So, Philip, like in your case, for your podcast, you want folks to listen or download or um leave a review. All of those are ways that you can craft a message to ask for those things or just directly ask for them. But that's the direct response aspect of copywriting. And it's powerful. I'm sure you know who Ramit Sethi is, right? Yep. yep. So I got I got caught in one of his funnels a while back. And mm-hmm. and then, you know, he's going through this campaign and I just was like, man, look, man, just tell me how much it is. I'm ready to send you my money. Because uh, you're because you're all obviously awesome at this, so please let me pay you. And I already knew it was like twenty five hundred bucks or something like that because he said it on the podcast or something. But I was like, I was like, man, this guy's amazing. You know, you don't you don't think it will work on you until you meet a master copywriter. How, how'd you get into copywriting? 
So it's actually really funny. This was not planned, y'all. So it's Ramit's book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich, is actually what started it for me. <laughs> um, so that's very interesting. And I actually got to meet him um, in person a few years back in New York uh, at an event I was at and he also attended. But yeah, so I got into it because so my background is actually in IT, uh, data analytics specifically. Um, and I've been doing that for a lot of years, since all 15 now. And but then I wanted a challenge in my career. I wanted something different, something uh, that allowed me to use a little more right brain uh, versus complete left that sometimes data analytics leaves you in. And so I was actually reading the book, I Will Teach You To Be Rich. And that literally snowballed me into online marketing. Um, and so I joined the mastermind and I mean, all the big names are in this mastermind. Um, Frank Kern, a lot of them now are like literally legends. Um, Frank Kern is one that comes to mind offhand, but Ryan Dice. And I I was in that mastermind and got to see them all just interacting and talking and sharing. And it, it was something that um, just getting into online marketing was how I started. And I remember uh, <laughs> I had to give my, an introduction of myself. And at the time, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that, um, given that I was still heavy IT and not so much online marketing. Um and I gave the introduction and it started off with from uh, the capital of politics, parties and persuasion, Washington, D.C. Like that's how I did it. Not even knowing really copy at that point in time, um, but found my way into into copywriting specifically and marketing strategy with uh, with online marketing. So, yeah, Ramit was my my gateway, if you will. <laughs> <clears throat> the, the master. Yeah. Yeah. When did you go into business for yourself? What made you say, all right, I want to do this as a business? Yeah, so I actually started a company prior to the my current company, um, and that kind of just I let that fall by the wayside. Um, it was I really I knew I've always known I wanted my own career, my own company, um, and just I got into consulting, and that just snowballed into okay, you can now go do this independently, and so it kind of was a natural progression. Um, but eventually, I gave my notice to uh, my client and I said, OK, I'm out. I'm done as, a, as an employee. They were like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. We, we want you to stay. And so that and, uh, spurred off the whole creating my own company and, you know, becoming legal, you know, LLCing and um, and moving forward from there. So it really came out of I always knew I wanted it. I've tried it before, but sticking in and staying with it is is um is where I'm at now and it it came because I just I wanted that challenge and that change um so yeah so I, so I built my company that way side note my website I thought I, I didn't know if I was going to ask you but how, how would you rate my website from a from a copy standpoint I think you have the keys or the pieces that need to be there I do think flow wise you could probably brush it up just a little bit um but I think the main thing is are you are you getting the email are you getting the opt-in are you giving actionable um, insights while, while the visitor's on your site, right? And yes, you are. Um, we can always refine and, and kind of make things better. That's that's just always room for growth and improvement. But I think your website's okay. I do think there are parts that we we probably need to just be like, all right, fellas, let's, uh, let's, let's clean this up just a bit. Get them a little bit more actively involved. But uh, otherwise, send, no, you're good. Send me an invoice. We'll do that. <laughs> um. So what, what are the keys to communicating effectively? Yeah. So understanding your audience is, is very big. A lot of brands and companies, and I'm talking more on the small business side, they tend to just, they think of it with their own lens, meaning how they would want something done. And 
I know coaches will sometimes say, well, you know, you want to go ahead and, and look at it from your vantage point. No, you actually want to look at it from your audience's vantage point. And the only way you can really do that is by asking questions and understanding where they are so that you can build out that journey. Right. So when you're communicating, you're communicating to your audience based on one, where they are. So whether or not they know you, whether they know what you're offering, or even if they know they have a problem. So that's like their awareness level, like what they know or what they don't know. And based on that, you want to create messages that actually allow uh, your offer, whether it's a product or service, to be able to communicate. So you're looking at bringing together your messaging and your audience's awareness. And that's how you're able to effectively communicate. That's how you're able to increase sales. That's how you're able to drive traffic to your offer. Things like that. Okay. So so it's kind of like selling in, 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 in real life, right? Doing a lot of, a lot of questions, yeah. a lot of understanding. How is it different from selling face-to-face? Yeah. So with face-to-face, there's a lot of um, a lot of nonverbals that you get, right? So you get body language. You can get inflections in tone and voice. Um, I know for me, I speak with my hands a lot, which I know we're not on video, but oh, we're on video, but they don't see video. But I, I talk with my hands a lot. All of that is just different nonverbals that you can't get in copy. And so with copy, you have to recreate those nonverbals to the best of your ability, right? So you need to be able to set a scene. So instead of saying, you know, you could say something like, oh, well, it was cold outside or, you know, the air smells nice. How about you can't just say that in copy and copy. You got to go into, you know, well, I remember when a time when, you know, I was walking through the botanical gardens and I saw a butterfly that was perched on top of a hydrangea and just reminded me of the first day of spring. Like that's what copy does. Copy, you're bringing together that whole image and and attempting <laughs> to replace some of that nonverbal uh, in words in text because you don't have that inflection like you would if you're face to face. So here's a, here's another uh, off the cuff question because when I got into copy, I don't know if I was ever really good at it or not. Like I definitely don't attribute my sales success to copy per se, probably branding. I'm probably above average at branding, uh, but copy to me, it just seems so, I don't want to say hard, but just, dra- you know, like you put your soul into it, right? It just, it's tough. And so, you know, thank God there's companies, you know, you know, like like yours that help people do it. But talk about if you're marketing on the internet, like you have to, either learn copy yourself and go through that grueling process or hire somebody, but explain why that is. Cause I, I, I you know, I know what it is and I, and I know I need to do better and I probably for real need to hire you, but like, why is it so important to um, do copy if you're trying to sell something over the internet or just, yeah. I guess it applies to magazines, but who still read magazines? Mag- <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, the place where copy comes into play, especially in the online space, we sometimes get so caught up in catchphrases and, you know, and I'm guilty of that as well. You know, you tend to say things like conversion rates and optimizations and things like that. But what copy really does, like what it looks like in terms of just effectiveness online is being able to um, understand what your audience needs of you or from you and, and bringing it back to them, letting them rehear that. So for instance, um, yes, copy can be hard sometimes, but if you have enough awareness to, 
let's say, ask your email list what what type of episode they want to hear next, right, on your podcast. Then what you're getting from them, you're getting you're getting feedback, right? You're getting a dialogue. You're starting a conversation, and then starting those conversations more often than not, and um, your audience will say, "Oh, well, you know, I really want to hear more about this topic," or "I, I really d- didn't like this one; just wasn't it for me." And when you get that type of information in your copy, you're able to to regurgitate it, if you will, and they think, "Oh, wow, this person's like totally in my head." I mean, that's that's at at the most simplistic level. That's that's what copy looks like. So uh, not everybody obviously specializes in copywriting. I totally get it. Not in everybody's wheelhouse. That's okay too. That's why we're here. However, I would never, I would not discount the fact that you already have uh, the ability to create copy. It might not always meet the mark. I mean, hell, we put together campaigns that doesn't always meet the mark, um, but you have to be willing to test that out. If you're not willing to test, then you're not going to know what works what doesn't work and measure the effectiveness of said copy. So while it can be sometimes a bit uh, daunting to take on, I think listening to the voice of your audience, listening to the voice of your clients, listening to what your customers are saying is part of what helps inform good copy. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, and it's, it's funny, as you were saying that I was like, I was like, maybe I am good at copy uh, or, or, you know, cause I've, I've been selling my whole life and, uh, and that's that's what I do. That's how I come up with my with my current episodes. It's you know how I come up with my email list. Even even if, I don't know if you've read my book, but even when I wrote my when I when I wrote my book, which you know my wife is a tough critic. You know what I mean? Like it's it's hard to to impress my wife, but she was impressed with the book. But that's just kind of you know what I did the whole time. I, when I did Ramit's course, I had like I don't know. No lie, like twenty, at least twenty pages of just stuff that I'd ask my clients, and then mm-hmm. after I did that process, which for me it made sense. I was like, "Oh wait, this is what I do whenever I make sales, right?" And so then um, I just start becoming a better listener, and then incorporating it into different episodes. And so, but 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 like you were saying, I think the part about copy that it was grueling and tough for me because I still do that part. It's like you mentioned, like. The testing, the analytics, the, you know, because I'm like off the cuff and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm just like, uh, you know, let me like, let me test it. Let me try it. But tracking it and and making decisions off the the data is probably 100% what I should do. But that just drains me, right? People be like, but you're a finance guy. I was like, yeah, I, I am. But I'm not really like a detail oriented type person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but to your point, like, um, so people think, yes, copywriting is words. It is. And it's how you put together the words and, and bring together the messaging. But unless you're looking at the data behind that, you're not going to know what the hell is working and what's not. You're just going right. to be, I call it winging it. We, we don't want winging it. Yeah. We, we don't want to wing it. That's um, exactly what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I, get, I get that the numbers behind it can sometimes be draining, but um, looking at those numbers and even looking at the feedback that you get back helps just to make your ability to write better. Right. Now you are 100% right. You mentioned a couple of um, copywriting legends, but l- let's let's give an example of like uh, let's take realtors for example. How would copy help a realtor specifically? So um, yeah, no, that's actually a good one, and it's I have these are few and far between. I'm gonna give an example, but um, so you know, typically realtors kind of list down the stats of you know three bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms, whatever, two car garage, what have you, right, of a home of a property. Um, instead what they could do, I mean, yes, those are the stats that you go put up on the real estate websites, but in an email campaign, 
you would flip that and you you're not you're not selling a four bedroom whatever I just said four bedroom three and a half bath or vice versa you're not selling that you're selling memories you're selling potentially a legacy you're selling an inheritance you're selling um you know growing up and having your family all together at the dinner table that's what you're selling mm. and so when you translate as a realtor when you translate that into copy into your email campaigns that's what it looks like. It's not a four bedroom, three and a half bath. It's a, a place where all the kids can come together with mom and dad and sit at the table and eat or grandma, grandpa, or whomever's in that home. You're you're building that type of a, a lifestyle or type of a vision for the um, for the potential buyer, for the person who's interested in the property. So so do this. Let's let's take two steps back then. Let's talk about email campaigns because because when you mentioned it, I was like, yeah, we kind of both just said it, but I take for granted a lot of folks don't understand it. So so a, do you think every business should have an email list? I'm, I know what you're going to say, and then <laughs> and then b, why is that important, and what does it look like, and what does it do? Right. So kind of all, all all of that because I know a lot of people that just don't have an email list. I'm not talking about the one where you like pay this service to send you generic emails that they send. All of their clients, I mean, like a specialized email list that you write or you hire somebody to write for your specific business. Yes, yes. So first question or first answer, yes, everybody, every company, every business should have an email list. Now, to follow on to that, the next question is, well, I don't have anything to say. Yes, you do. I promise. (laughs) Um, Yes, it's important to have an email list because... Um, the contrast is social media. You don't own social media. That's not your platform. That's their platform. Algorithms change, coding changes behind the scenes. Things change. It can go away. Uh, look at Vine. Look at um, this one called Blab from years ago. I'm sure nobody knows that. But anyway, um, they can go away. But your emails, the email uh, addresses that you collect on your email list, don't. You own that. That's yours. And so that's your ability that's somebody raising their hand saying, yep, I want to hear from you. And that's your ability to communicate out. Now, to that next part of the question, which is, well, what does that look like if I don't have anything to say? That might be a behind the scenes, like to your point of, of realtors, that might be a behind the scenes tour. Like, yes, they go post on social what this looks like. But hey, if you're on the list, you really get this inside view or you really get how we set up and stage this home. Like that's things that you can put in a campaign. Um, in the service side, it's not always buy my thing. It's not always buy my service or buy my product. You could talk about what goes into it, how you work with vendors to get the ingredients that go into your particular product or what type of uh, training you might have gone through in order to get to a specific digital course that you put out. Like you want to show and I call that more the behind the scenes, but you want to you want to be relatable. You want to build relationships in folks inbox. You don't want to just always be ask, ask, ask for somebody to buy something from you. And so to me, having that email list as a business or as a brand allows you to to show that side of your business, show your team, show maybe what goes into putting it together a podcast or, you know, how grueling and how many hours it is. Yes, our stint is only for like maybe an hour, but it takes a lot longer to do that. Like those are things that you could put in email campaigns. That's not always buy my stuff. That's the part that I think when I got the impression of copywriting at first, you know, I don't, and I had the wrong impression, but, you know, I always say I want to be Adidas instead of like Amway, you, you know, like meaning, you know, I want people to be like, man, like I just want Phil to be my wealth manager because it makes me feel cool. Right. You know what I'm saying? Which I don't know how you create that, but that's like the goal. Right. And yeah. I, and, and, and I, and I feel like, um, you know, I, I, I feel like so many people, if they do get into internet marketing or online selling, they're always talking about 
you know, look at me, 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 or look at yeah. this house that realtors are the worst at it. Look at this house that I sold. Ooh, I'm so great. I'm like, this is all about you. I don't care about how many houses you sell. You know, unless I'm a broker trying to recruit you, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> right. You know, no, but you're absolutely right. And, and so that's where, that's an example of where messaging misses the mark. It, they again, it, it focused on themselves instead of what their audience wants, right? Mm-hmm. What their audience wants to see. Their audience doesn't care that they sold you know, $500,000 worth of home. No, they want to know, well, do you have a house that would work for me and my family and my location? That's mm-hmm. what they want. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's the type of messaging um, that they would, a realtor would want to get across is what is in it for their client, potential client. Are there different like styles of copywriting or, or let's say, let's say you're coming to me and you say, all right, you know, Philip is my client and he's, you know, very like, I don't really care about conversions you know i care about branding more and kind of pulling people to say man uh out of all the advisors i like philip the most i'm about to book a time and do a console versus versus maybe even the ramit sati route where he'll open up for a period of time and sell you through or whatever which you know, I'm saying I don't want that, but I actually had a pretty dope campaign. But but let's let's for a second just say I just want to do it this way. But but you have somebody who says, no, I want to sell stuff through my email list, right? Mm-hmm. Um, are you, I guess I'm I'm saying yeah, there are two types, but are are both types as effective? And do you kind of say okay, I, I can build something based on how my client might want it, or or is it an education process saying no, nah, Philip, you're wrong. It's one way, and you just need to get over how you think things should be? Um, I'm going to try to answer it because it was a bit a bit layered, but I'm going to try to peel back those layers. So when you're when you're doing direct response, yes, there are different types of copywriting. So for like instance, blog type writing is more content-based type of a write, writing style. Whereas um, if you're looking to promote or sell or, you know, get a response, that's more so direct response. And so in that regards, a little bit different. Now, where it gets a little gray is where if you have a blog article and then you have a call to action, you want them to do something like a download or, a, you know, or a, um, get on a call or something like that within the article, then that that then gets into the direct response. But the article in and of itself is just that it's just educational to inform. Um, but in the same vein, you could be you can write direct response copy and still inform and educate while still having the person have a call to act while still having the call to action, having them to take an action. Right. Um, and then I'm going to challenge you about the conversion, because while it might have been an example, you, you're going to want conversions, whether it's people, whether it's um, sales, whether it's product, you know, volume, volumes of product, for your product based business, you're going to want those conversions. So while on the surface, it might seem like you're just sending out an email or sending out a campaign. You really are looking for a conversion of some sort at some point in time in your funnel. Um, and emails aren't necessarily always set up to always ask for the sale. Like I said, you don't want to always do that because then your list gets fatigued. People unsubscribe and block you and spam you and blah, blah, blah. The list goes on and on. But to have a campaign in place that even is just a welcome or an educational campaign to say, hey, this is what we're about. I saw you were interested in you know, this type of financial package and you send a campaign based on that specific interest, they're immediately going to be, oh, okay, well, Philip is actually saying something that I'm interested in. And so that is how you build that relationship in their inbox versus um, always trying to ask for the sale. But that conversion is definitely something you care about. I promise you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's always the sensitive balance between like, 
annoying them and building that brand, right? And it's all and I guess whenever you're at a point where you're looking to grow, you're like, well, man, you know, I get lots of referrals from my email list, just natural referrals, and I feel like it's because I'm 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 giving nine nine. I mean, I almost never ask for stuff. I I, I recently on my podcast started putting or or I asked Steve to ask folks to sign up for free, um, you know, whatever at the end. But yeah. um, but um, but yeah, I'm I'm always like, hey, what's the delicate balance, you know, between I all mean, of those. And- Here's the thing, though, you know, um, the folks who listen to your podcast, the folks who are on your email list, they want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And so you're in a business. They know you own a business. It's not like it's, you know, just some random person. They, they have some level of um, awareness of who you are. And so for you to say, hey, I'm I you know, this is a service that I provide. I'm doing this because I genuinely like having these kinds of conversations or answering these types of questions on my podcast. I, I would like to see if you would be interested in let them sell. I call it self-selection or self-segmenting. Um, we talk about list segmentation when we get into emails. If you let them segment themselves, whether it's, you know, hey, fill up a minute for the podcast or I want to someday want to work with you. You send out a, a campaign that gives them an either or option and let them um, select what it is. And you tag them on in the back end in your email provider. You've already started. Um, segmenting, letting them self-segment themselves so that when you send future campaigns, they could be more targeted to what they're interested in. Does that make sense? That's so genius. So genius. (laughs) I see why you have a successful business. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And and, and today with, with, with email, you can do like a whole lot more than you can even do five years ago. Cause I know, I know my Facebook marketing guy set me up with Active campaign. He's not an email list specialist. He's a Facebook specialist, but he set me up with that. And he was ran a campaign and did all this stuff. And I was like, bro, I don't, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know you can do this with email. <laughs> oh yeah, active campaign is slick. I, that's what I use. I use. I recommend, but I work with other ES email service providers as well. But yeah, active campaign is active. Active campaign is my jam. How about that? Automation on point. Templates on point. Deal tracking on point. Trust me. Yeah. After campaign and stuff. Okay. So it, so it is good. Okay. I, I, yeah. I thought he was switching me because he get a kickback. Hey, and I'm cool with kickbacks. <laughs> but I was, like, I, was, I was like, hey, man, if you're making money, I'd do mm-hmm. it. He's like, no, no, it's really dope. I was like, listen, you ain't, I don't care. Just, <laughs> I don't understand. You know, I just, I just get out here and invest money. Yeah. What, so here's the last question before I get into some, some, some other fun questions. But, um, are there or when does a business know that they need to take copywriting serious, whether it's take a course or hire somebody like you to come help them with their copywriting? I'd say the sooner, the better. And I often say it's more appreciated when you at least try for yourself, um, just so you get, especially in the online space, just so you get an understanding of what works and what does it to some level, because if you just immediately outsource it, um, I've, I've had some clients come to me where they get burned because they outsource it to a freelancer and it just wasn't them. It wasn't their, it wasn't on brand. It wasn't their tone of voice, none of that. And and so it totally took them aback and they, you know, they didn't want to work with anyone else because they felt like that's what the experience always would be. Um, but I do think it's important to at least have a level of understanding of what goes into a, a campaign, whether it's email, whether it's social, um, whatever your medium is. Um, so that you can then say, okay, I know that when I speak to my audience, this is what I want it to sound like. And I think one of the things that a lot of agencies take for granted is um, we call it, in my company, we call it voice print. 
and voice prints a process where we get your tone. We get um, what makes you your brand, what what goes into it behind the scenes so that when we write copy on your behalf, it's, it's you. It's authentically you. It's not Claudia and her company trying to sound like you. No, it is you. And there's no denying it's you and your, your subscribers know it's you. And so I think when where that line kind of blurs is either one, you are so overwhelmed with work, you just don't have time to write copy. And so you're ready to get either a, a freelancer or an agency involved, or two, you really are just starting and you want to at least understand what's involved so that when you go try to vet someone, you can say, okay, yeah, no, that, that doesn't work or that does work and you know where to start from. So that's kind of the probably roundabout way of answering that. But I think it's good to at least have an idea of what you what you want, what you sound like, so that when you do decide to outsource work with a freelancer, work with an agency, you have some level of, of understanding. Got it. So so get in there and start playing first. Yeah. And then and then you'll know. I I like that because that's I don't I always thought it was because I'm a control freak. You know, I, <laughs> listen, I don't I don't ever mind delegating once mm-hmm. I once I know how to gauge whether they're doing right, you know. Like with Facebook ads, for example, I learned it. I did it myself. So then when I hired a guy, I knew who was who was full of crap and who wasn't. And he like legit knew what he was talking about. And he was better than me because he knew all the nerd stuff that I just didn't have time to get into, (laughs) you know. And so the the same with copywriting. I I, I got into it so I could understand what I like and what I don't like. Um, um, But, yeah, I definitely would never want to be a copywriting expert. Although, I don't know, man, I think... And this may this again, this may just be like the artist in me, you know, or the control freak in me, which is the same same thing. But I'm always like, yeah, when I do work with a copywriting firm, I think I always wanna be a part of writing it. I don't ever I don't think I ever wanna like completely outsource it. I think I wanna say, Hey, like, how do we do this together? You know, mm-hmm. and you organize it and structure it. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's what I'm not great at. Like my next book that I write, which is gonna be Ask Philip. It's just going to be, uh, I, mean, I got the content, and I'm just yeah. going to be like, all right, let's organize and structure this. I don't really want to do that. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. So your your thing is you're good with develop, creating the content, but the processes and the back end and, and the layout and whatnot, that's not your jam. That's that's not, right. That is not my jam. I'm just, and I have, right. and I, I'm about to say, and I have no interest in controlling that process. I'm like, listen, <laughs> just take it over. What do you want? What do you want? I don't really care. Just make it look good. <laughs> you work in your lane. You operate in your lane. That's, that's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 um, so la- last questions. Are you an NBA fan? No. So well, I mean, not... yeah, no, I don't have a team. Not NBA. So, okay. What about, okay, so then I can't. NFL. So do you, do you, okay, NFL. So who, who who's your pick this year? Ravens. Ravens. Okay. Are, are you you're just like a diehard Ravens fans then, right? Because there's like no like there's no uh bandwagon Raven fans, right? You just are loyal. Yes, I'm loyal, even if their their season's not all that great. Even though the season hasn't started yet, but you know, I'm Next, still loyal. <laughs> this Sunday, I think it's this Sunday, right? Yeah, this Sunday. Yeah. Yep. Season season starts. Yep. Um I'm I'm kind I'm kind of excited. Sports just feel weird this year. Like even the NBA playoffs, I find myself yep. having to force myself to watch my own team, the Rockets. Um, oh. <laughs> and then, it is. It, it is a little different. It's definitely different this this year, for sure. Yeah. So we'll see. Well, hey, I um appreciate you coming to to share. Can you let everybody know how they could find you or subscribe to your email list if they're if they're I need to subscribe to your email list too. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna subscribe once you tell me where to go. 
Yeah, sure thing. If you go to misscopywriter.com forward slash podcast, um, you will be able to go ahead and hop on the list um, and get your marketing formula. I know uh, that's something that we do offer there is a marketing formula to let you know where you are in your marketing um, and what you need to improve on. So misscopywriter.com forward slash podcast. And I am also on Instagram at misscopywriter. All right. Well, well thank, thank, thanks again. Thanks, Philip. I appreciate it. First principle. Don't panic. So the market is doing its thing again, whatever that thing is. Let's call it the 2020 shuffle. And it's, it's, it's going crazy. And a lot of folks are having a little bit of PTSD about what happened back in March. But as I mentioned back in episodes around March and April, you just can't panic. You, you got to have a game plan. You got to have a strategy. If you don't have one, you need to hire a wealth manager or a team that, that has one. We have one, which is why we don't panic, which is based on history, multiple economic cycles, multiple market cycles. Things happen just like the weather. Things happen over and over and over again. And whenever people think it's all, it's going to be the end of the world, it, it, it hasn't to date. doesn't mean that it can't ever be the end of the world, but you got to think, okay, what happens in the end of the world, right? What's, what's, what's valuable? You can you can look at other countries that have had a complete economic collapse, and then say, "Oh, okay. Well, listen. If it if it goes to that, ain't no use in worrying about you know the stock market because the banks are terrible. You know, you you basically need to have lots of friends, maybe a few guns. If you can store some gold bars or something cool, you know, cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. You know, if you if if you can get internet." protect your keys that might be a a a good thing in 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 these days but you know worrying about whether you should hold cash or stocks or bonds doesn't really matter in the in the extreme situations but i you know i don't think we're going there either way i just think it's a whole lot of debt in the system um you have asset prices that are crazy high you have lots of money printing which creates lots of volatility and as i mentioned in previous episodes the, the game plan is to just Pay attention to uh, the season. Be well diversified. Be long term. If you, where you should be worried is if if you're a day trader and you're day trading and you're not that good. <laughs> if you just started in the last few years, which a lot of people have, you don't know if you're good or not, and you'll find out if you're bad when you get wiped out. If you get wiped out <laughs> during this period of time, wiped out being losing all or most of your money, then you just you'll find out you're not that good. This happened back in '99. A lot of folks thought that they were excellent day traders at that point in time because it was a similar environment and and they found out that they weren't that good and lost a bunch of money so so yeah uh, i would be panicking if i were a day trader or a short-term person but if you're a long-term investor don't really worry about it things work out and again if you go to the very very low scenario of it being the worst worst case scenario then just make sure that you are nice to a bunch of people so in the in the armageddon you can have lots of friends Friends are what's valuable in that period of time. Next question. Philip, what's better, a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA? And, and you can also apply this to uh, 401k contributions because m- most 401ks have a, a Roth option uh, and a traditional option, which means traditional, you put in money, you get a tax deduction for the money you put in there. But when you take it out in retirement, you pay your taxes then. And a Roth is you don't get any tax break today. But when you take it out in retirement, you could pull the money out tax-free. Now, which one is better? 
my bias, I like the Roth better, right? Here's why I like the Roth better because I'm I'm working now. I'm working, I'm sacrificing, I'm saving for the future. And since I'm working, I can afford to just not get the tax deduction and put the money away because I'm, cause I'm working. Later on in retirement, whether I'm forced to stop working or I decide to stop working uh, and, I, and I need that money, uh, I don't know t- where tax rates are going to be. But even if I got to pay a dollar of tax, that's, every dollar is valuable to me when I'm not working, right? Because right now, if I run out of money, I can just go work more. Over Back, back there, you know, I have lots of things that can put me out of money. I can have health care costs rising, inflation costs rising, taxes can rise. Like a lot of things can happen, you know, over, over a retirement period. And so I'd rather keep my risks to a manageable number. And if I could eliminate taxes as a risk, then that's just that's just better for me. So I like I like Roth. At the very least, I say do 50-50. You know, if you're like, but I want some tax deductions today because my CPA said blah, 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 fine. Just do 50-50. So then you have some options. Because when I <clears throat> when I meet people who are in retirement or my clients who are um, in retirement, uh, number one question is, how do I reduce my taxes? And they have all this 401k pre-tax money. I'm like, you can't. Your kids are growing and going. Your home is paid off. All your money that you're going to turn to income has never been taxed by the IRS, and, and you got to take it out to make to create income. So you're going to be taxed. I, nothing you can do. Like you just you can't take it out and put it back into a four four hundred one k plan. So you got to pay the tax. That that is the answer. Next question, Philip. How do you recommend a portfolio mix for your clients? It's a simple process. Uh, it's a process that I follow. That's that that I do the same process pretty much for for everybody, but the the individual inputs are unique to in each person. So where we start is, what's the goal? You know how how much money roughly do you need to reach your financial goals in the future? And so let's let's figure that out. Which is a you know looking at a bunch of different stuff: taxes, how much you make now, what's going to be paid off. But we, we, we back into a approximate number, a number range. And I say range because there's a lot of things that we can't control. Inflation, healthcare, cost of living, right? So we want to, we want to have a range, but we can zoom in on a super conservative number, uh, that you need. And then we say, all right, will you have social security? Will you have a pension fund? Other, other assets that are, that, that don't require you to, that you're not investing for. And so then it backs into, all right, how much of your money needs to come from investments, right? Then you look at how much time you have until, uh, that point, how much you're saving, and it allows you to know how much risk you should be taking, balance with return to reach that goal. And, and then you just basically, s- similar to if you're, if you're looking at, if you're, dietitian and you're looking at, all right, what is a well-balanced diet? Well, they'll say, okay, it depends on if you want to build muscle or lose weight or whatever. But, but basically, there's some basic food groups that you can pull from to build a good diet. Same thing with investing. There's some basic food groups that you need to pull from in order to build a portfolio. And, and then you mix and match it and eat more, you know, you might eat more of something if you're trying to build muscle than if you're trying to lose weight. Same thing with investing. You might have more of this asset class versus the other one if you have a different time frame or a different goal. And so that's, that's what we do. We go through that, go through that process and then mix and match asset classes based on all that input. 
Next question. Philip, where do you predict interest rates are going? Yeah, this is like guessing who's going to win the NBA championship. I, I don't really know. I don't predict. I'm bad at predicting. I just look at the current trend and make decisions based on the current longer-term trend. So the current longer-term trend is interest rates are going down. And so my assumption is going to be down until that longer-term trend changes. But again, it, it's a difference between using the information to to position an investment portfolio and predicting. I'm, there's no way I can predict where interest rates are going to be tomorrow, next week, or next year, right? But but I can look at the trend. I, I kind of use the analogy of checking the temperature outside and the trend of the temperature to decide what you're going to wear versus trying to predict what the weather's, what the exact temperature is going to be January 2nd or October 3rd. I don't, I don't know. No way to know. I can know how to dress today based on, based on temperature trend. And that's, and that's what I do uh, in investing. So I hope that helps. Next question. Should I invest in opportunities presented by friends or other people? Let me give some clarity around this question. Cause I don't even know if the question articulates what the person was really asking. But, but once you get uh, a decent sum of money or you, or you have the appearance that you have some money, then you're going to get hit with a lot of people asking you to invest in their deal and their real estate project and their company and, and, you know, whatever, right? Which, which the good, you know, the good thing about the world today is if you have an idea or a business, there's lots of sources of, of money. You don't have to go through just banks. You can um, get money a lot of different ways. The bad thing is the, the people that are now able to invest in, in these opportunities that come due. If you don't have a decision-making process that's solid and sound, you're going to lose a lot of money, right? Because it's hard and you know, if you're not good in picking stocks of companies that have been tested because they get on a stock market exchange, you have to go through a rigorous process to do that. And, and you still have stocks that are dogs, you know, which is bad. Uh, you still got terrible mutual funds. And so, so you're saying, Hey, if, if I don't even have a process for picking those, you know, limited opportunities, these other ones that come up are like unlimited opportunities and you investing based on gut feel or, what you think or how nice this person is like one of the worst things to do. And this is, this is Warren Buffett's process because he gets hit up for this all the time. If somebody wants to pinch him an idea, like, just send me the math first. Like, don't talk to me because if you're dealing with a good salesperson, they can sell you. It's a superpower. And so he doesn't even want to be sold or influenced. He just wants to, you know, look at the math first and that keeps him. And this is a guy with a process, right? So he already has a process, a superior process, but he can, he knows he can still be influenced. So if, if you're being approached by people who are saying, I got this new tested idea, you got to think like, what's my process, right? And, and, and a process could be something as simple as, Hey, I only invest in stuff that I know, like stuff I call them. Remember, you can go back to my two feet hurdle podcast, but I only invest in two feet hurdles, which are, things that I really know. I'm not guessing around anything. I know this industry. I know this business, right? And then and then another part of the process can always be, okay, how much do I invest in, in each idea? Because especially if it's newer and they're coming to, you know, non-banks, that means probably more risky. You may say, hey, I'm only going to, you know, I break my money up in 20 different chunks and then invest no more than 
5% of that money in each deal in case I'm wrong. But you want to put like basically guardrails around your decision-making process and only wait for like when it's in your, in, in your strike zone. And again, if, if you cannot create a process around how to invest in these type of businesses, then you just shouldn't do it. I think that's the wise thing to do, to take, take your time, learn how to build a process, and then if you want to do it, do it. Because I see a lot of people who will swing for home runs with a big chunk of their net worth. And, and when, you're doing, when you're doing these businesses that are going for non-traditional financing, your, your, your batting average, even if you're good, is low. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's I don't know, I, if, probably a lot less than a third of people who do these kind of deals actually make any money. You know, not, I ain't talking about home runs, I'm talking about like a, less than a third probably would make any money. And so if the best are have a batting average of of only a third and you're just getting in and you're listening to my podcast for my advice, you know, then you're probably way less than a third. And so just be mindful of that. I hope this helps somebody. To end the podcast today, October 3rd, I know I don't want to talk about, uh, I, talk about my, I talk about my fight again, but October 3rd is my fight. I will say training for this fight is exciting in and of itself because I don't think I've ever been in, in this kind of shape. You know, I'm, I'm back to the same weight that I was like freshman year in college. I'm running 45 minutes, five days a week in addition to my other training. I feel as good as I can during allergy season when I just just naturally feel terrible. But I, I, I like it, man. I, I spend... I'm looking at my, my, my Apple Watch stuff, and I, I probably work out like two, three hours a day, you know, five times a week. But I like it, you know. I, I enjoy it. My mind feels stronger. I feel like I'm more aware and better at what I do. And I, and the health stuff, I'm starting to work to eat better and start starting to think about things like meditation and yoga, right, which is, which is good, right, because I'm like, hey, man, in order to increase my performance – and by the way, for those who are wondering, I'm I'm only gonna do like one fight. I just want to look back at seventy and say, "Hey, you know, I did it. I'm not gonna become a professional, you know, Muay Thai fighter. This is not even like a. I mean, we're wearing shin pads, you know, and it's 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 three two minute rounds. So it's you know, it's like guardrails. But I just want to be seventy and say, "Hey, you know, I I, I did it. I'm still gonna train because the training is like amazing." But I'm not going to switch from being a wealth manager to a, a Muay Thai professional fighter. At least, at least I don't think. You know, the, who who knows? Right after it, I, I could always just switch and move to Thailand and and have Bloodsport 2020 edition, which actually would be pretty cool. Actually, actually, would be really cool. I might do that. We'll see. Might be doing a podcast from Thailand, 2021. <laughs> Y'all have a good week. Talk to you soon. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. 
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.